This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data that EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. Good morning. What are you hoping to do over the next few weeks as summer emerges? Well, the the first order of business is to recover from a nasty bout of poison ivy uh, that uh, I deservedly got by dragging one of my nephews uh, through the undergrowth to get at a pond the other weekend. Um, but uh, enjoy it is the short answer. Were any lessons learned? Um, <laughs> you should probably ask my nephew. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's start with the big out or relatively big outflows we saw in emerging markets this past week. Uh, where did we see those? Was it one region or, or around the world? Um, no, it was very much concentrated into <laughs> the bigger single country fund groups, uh, the ones dedicated to Korea and the ones dedicated to Brazil. Um, the outflows from Brazil, which were, gosh, over uh, the highest in over a year, um, you know, it's not very hard <laughs> to make the case as to why that might be. Um, you know, rising inflation, rising interest rates, still very high levels of COVID infection, uh, rising levels of political dysfunction, um, and uh, a, a tr- trade done in, uh, in many dollar-denominated commodities at a time when the U.S. seems determined to sort of push the value of the dollar down by the exceptional levels of deficit finance spending. So um, that was not so much of a surprise. The the uh, record-setting outflows from Korea equity funds, um, that's a market that I think investors, especially foreign ones, have been really having some trouble getting a fix on. Um, it used to be very much a foreign-owned equity market that has steadily been eroding. Uh, and post-pandemic, um, it's, it's those, that fund group has swung between really large inflows and <laughs> increasingly large outflows. Um, it definitely has some issues which you know deserve to be treated with some caution. Um, I think that the latest uh, outflows were driven by the realization that um, if the Fed is forced to start tightening, uh, that usually drags emerging markets behind it. That otherwise, they risk large capital outflows. And in the case of Korea, you have a, a, a an economy which is almost as heavily based on debt-fueled uh, consumer spending as ours is. 
And has that changed significantly over the last year? Not significantly, but it continues to grind higher rather than lower. And it's less that uh, it's changed, that, but that uh, you know, U.S. interest rates have the uh, potential to sort of uncover that stress point. So uh, an area where I know that you're seeing a little more appetite uh, go to the other side of things are the the countries that may have been a may have seen a, a a bigger impact during the great financial crisis the pigs countries yes the um portugal ireland italy greece and spain uh the ones that were tagged as the most vulnerable during the great financial crisis um, Europe overall is uh, on the right side of the spotlight at the moment. Um, it's viewed as uh, a, a still not fully valued rebound play uh, and one that's a little less likely to come with a side helping of, of higher than hoped for inflation. Um, that said, ironically enough, um, the two leading uh, uh, markets uh, in that infamous group uh, also tended to casually be called the club med countries. Um, Italy and Spain uh, have been seeing a revival investor in investor interest, which is to some degree tied by their uh, adoption of what you might call Biden light fiscal plans. Um, so, um, you know, there's a certain irony there that sort of the blowout spending that arguably got them to their point of vulnerability is now being regarded as a little bit of a golden ticket out. Uh, Greece, interestingly, I think has been seeing um, support because it did take its fiscal medicine uh, back with the great financial crisis. And uh, it's actually viewed as less vulnerable now than it was uh, back when that happened. So that that uh, those steps, in essence, put it in a, a better position where we are now. Yeah. Um, I, Ireland, unfortunately, um, though, it, it it fits that profile too. Um, the investors have some reservations as to how uh, the Biden global tax plan is going to impact Ireland as um, part of Ireland's um, Celtic Tiger identity was luring multinationals there with lower than their neighbors' corporate taxes. <laughs> So let's switch over to sectors for a few minutes. Uh, any particular sector that has really picked up steam? Yes. So um, the, the real estate sector funds, um, which t have been tending to fly under the radar as, as tech, uh, as, as it won't hogs the headlines, uh, have really been picking up some momentum recently. Uh, on one level, that's not that surprising. Um, if you do think you're heading into... Uh, an inflationary period, you want your money to get as close to tangible assets as you reasonably can get it. Um, and with interest rates still pinned to the floor, uh, real estate does hold out the hope of some kind of higher than bank income stream. It does surprise me personally, because I would have thought that commercial real estate would be getting if not really hit over the last year, a little concerned about the future with the work from home uh, transition that many people went through. 
Yes, uh, and and that remains true. Um, what has happened, though, is that the sort of concerns around commercial real estate have tended to dominate the debate about the future, uh, and and lost in the sound and fury of that debate are a the strong demand in the residential sector uh, and the equally strong demand in the um, industrial and storage spaces. How does that, where does that come from in this conversation? That comes from uh, an awareness that uh, (laughs) there are what you call black swan events and to be prepared for them, you need to uh, bring at least some of your supply chain and inventory closer to home if you're going to sort of ride them out to the best effect. What I think is happening is that there's a realization, too, that though things could get bumpy for commercial real estate over the next few years, um, there are a number of adaptations they can and are likely to make that will bring them fairly quickly back to profitability. One of those is that given that uh, residential supply is not meeting demand, um, it's likely that sort of converting some real estate to upper higher end residential uh, will uh, keep the owners of those that real estate in the money. Um, and you know it's not not a given. Um, we've tended to view the future for commercial real estate through the worst point of the pandemic. Um, you know, we're certainly <laughs> there's plenty out there about the pathologies of sort of completely decentralized working and <laughs> so i you know it's it's like live the, the demand from the traditional sources i think will bounce back a little bit more than most people are predicting any other sectors worth noting or to keep an eye on over the next few weeks well obviously technology is finally <coughs> uh, the flow certainly to the funds have started to buckle a bit in the face of a, a number of you know fairly long running at this point headwinds um you know the the, the rhetoric the antitrust rhetoric the efforts to increase the tax ta- taxation of them um the sort of consensus uh basically on, on pretty much every continent that they're too big for their own boots and need to be hauled in um so um you know we've had what for that for the sector stands out as a fairly lengthy period now of outflows um you know, in in past go arounds, there's fairly quickly come a point where people think, you know, hang on, they tend to bounce back, and everyone rushes back in to try and capture the the next leg up. So, we'll obviously be keeping an eye to see if that in, signs that that inflection point plays out again, or whether this is a more structural, sustained change in in appetite for that sector. So finally this week, I know that we're starting to see a little more interest in diversification using the multi-asset vehicles that EPFR tracks. Um, Can you explain a little bit what those are, and then maybe we can talk about how those are generally used? Yes. So um, EPFR tracks two major buckets of multi-asset funds. One is the total return funds. Uh, and the other is the balanced funds. The balanced funds are, are the more conservative retirement-oriented vehicles, you know, target date, that sort of stuff. Uh, total return is 
much as the name suggests, funds that whose mandate is um, is focused on you know, promising <laughs> some kind of premium over a benchmark return. Um, so I, you know, obviously <laughs> we're in a yield-starved environment, so those return promises uh, are attractive to investors. And indeed, total return funds have really been seeing strong flows uh, ever since uh, things bounced back from the initial shock of the pandemic last year in March and April. What is different is that uh, balanced funds, which have been struggling for a pretty obvious reason, which is that they are more biased towards retirement and more and more people, certainly in the U.S., are retiring, uh, have of those seen, seen a bounce back in flows recently. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm going to say longest inflow streak at the moment since I think at least 2019 and maybe a little bit earlier. Um, I, I think, to be honest, that uh, it, it, we've seen this before. As you say, diversification is a line of defense in a period of uncertainty that most people understand. Uh, and uh, you know, in past periods of market stress, we have seen people gravitate towards fund groups that sort of offer uh, some some degree of uh, spread out exposure. Uh, you know, convertible bond funds also tend to get popular uh, in this kind of climate. Um, you know, anything which gives a sense that if one asset class really comes down to the cost, you still. <laughs> have some anchors uh, in other ones. Um, um, so, and uh, you, the, the fund industry likes them. They don't tend to be passive. So, you know, they, they, um, they're, they're better from sort of a fee perspective. Um, um, <clears throat> you know, some, some of the major questions hanging over them, of course, are, um, you know what can you reasonably promise? Certainly, among the on the total return side in this environment, uh, uh, and you know, <laughs> um, uh, we'll be paying close attention to that. It, 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 you know, uh, your final question in these is usually what are you going to be looking into later this week? One of the things we are starting to look into is how to get more information out of the large pools of multi-asset funds that EPFR tracks, but which I think we don't uh, currently dissect quite as much as we do some of the other fund groups. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, points of view and narratives that potentially could shine through. Yes, exactly. Anything else you and the team are going to be investigating or, or looking into a bit more? Um, well, we're continuing to dig into the FANG stocks, uh, which I mentioned last week. Um, and uh, we are also working on delivering our, our first webinar in uh, a foreign language, Mandarin, uh, which we hope to do probably uh, early in the third quarter. Um, so between fangs, multi-assets, and uh, <laughs> trying to uh, annotate decks in, in a foreign language uh, is keeping us fairly busy. Well, next week we'll be joined by the Zephyr uh, in-house expert, Ryan Nauman, for a conversation. Excellent. Good. Great. Thanks, Cam. All right. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast.